Welcome to the Vineyard Church Cardiff podcast. I'm Alice and today I'm finishing up our three-part series, He Will Be Exalted, looking at what it means to be an outrageously generous community. Enjoy. So today is the last in our three-part vision and giving series, He Will Be Exalted. And over the last couple of weeks, we have been looking at where we believe God is leading us in this next chapter as a church. And this isn't a moment of kind of new vision or or, or new direction necessarily, but a deepening of our existing vision as we seek to see this city restored and this nation renewed. And as we look forward, we believe there are three key areas that the Lord is asking us to invest in as we push ahead into this vision. One, buying the gate. Two, developing our sites and ministries and three, church planting and equipping future leaders. And over the last couple of talks, we have spoken into those and where we believe God is calling us in each of those areas. So if you've missed those talks, do go back and listen to them again. You'll also find on the giving section of our website an online booklet that you can download with all the information about our vision for this series. But today, as we finish, I just want to finish up by thinking about what it means to be a generous people, a community defined by outrageous generosity. Now, outrageous generosity is one of our five values as a church, and as such, it's something that we want to be known for, that we want others to see in us as a community, which kind of begs the question, what does an outrageously generous church look like? And today we are going to be back in 1 Chronicles in chapter 29 today, looking at the moment where King David asks his people to give to the vision that the Lord has given him. Just a little bit of context, a reminder of what's been happening so far before we jump in. So King David here, he is towards the end of his life, you know, he's getting on a bit, um, and he has this vision, a sense of calling that now is the time to build a house for the Lord, a place of God's presence where people can meet and worship the living God, a place where the Lord, the King will be exalted. But David also knows that he isn't going to be the one to complete it. God has made it clear that it's going to be his son Solomon that gets to do so. And so here we have David. He's this old man in the last few years of his life. And he sets about to make sure that his son Solomon has every resource, every helping hand at his his disposal to help him be able to do this, to build this temple. And, And David knew that for Solomon to be able to achieve this, what was a colossal task, he was going to need all the help that he could get, which is why in chapter 28 that we looked at last week, David assembles all of his key people, all the military leaders, his tribal leaders, the royal overseas, his leading soldiers. He gathers them together. David knows that this vision to build the temple is much bigger than he or Solomon alone can achieve. You know, as David says in 1 Chronicles 29 verse 1, this isn't going to be just a kind of a palace for a king, but it's a palace, the home for the king, for the Lord of Lords. This isn't just a a place where the people of Israel are going to meet each other, but it's a place for the living God to meet with them. This was like a huge vision and needed everyone to play their part. So David has gathered all his people. He shares with them his vision. He shares with them the plans of how they're going to get this thing done. He then commissions Solomon in front of them. And then he invites this assembly, the crowd he's assembled, he invites them to give towards seeing this vision realised. So let's jump in. 1 Chronicles 29, starting at verse 3. Here is David addressing this assembly. He says this, Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God, over and above everything I have provided for this holy 
temple. 3,000 talents of gold, gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the buildings, for the gold work and the silver work, and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Then the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. They gave toward the work on the temple of God, 5,000 talents and 10,000 darics of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze and 100,000 talents of iron. Anyone who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehiel the Goroshanite. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Oh, I love this story. This is like an Old Testament style giving campaign. You know, David starts by reassuring them that he, David, is willing himself to give to it. You know, David begins by explaining that he is going to give off his own personal finances, not just from the king's royal estate. I think that's really important. You know, you should know um, that Matt and I, James and Jen, um, our side pastors, we are all willing to give to this vision. Not that we also have like a royal estate to give from as well. <laughs> We're just giving from our personal finances. We're not asking you to do something that we are not willing to do ourselves. We are bought into this vision wholeheartedly and we are committing to give financially to it. So there's that moment. And then there's the moment, I imagine with some trepidation, that David turns to this group he's assembled and he asks, will you give? Will you give? I mean, that is a scary moment for David. It's a scary moment for us as church leaders. You know, here we are, we're telling you all, our, our church family, what we believe the Lord is asking us to do, the vision we believe that he has for this church. And then we're asking you to give. James, in his first talk, called this a brown pants moment. <laughs> and whilst I wouldn't, that wouldn't necessarily be my phrase of choice, I kind of get what he means. It's a scary moment as a leader when you ask your church to go and to give above and beyond to see a vision realised. So there's that moment. And then there's the moment in the story when they give. I mean, boy, do they give. A lot of people give a lot of money. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, precious stones, we're told in the passage. I mean, can you imagine it? Just try and visualise it if you can. I mean, part of the problem with our modern online bank tra transfers, it's not so visually pleasing. But what we have here is this beautiful picture of this wonderful moment as all these financial resources come flowing in. We don't know the details, but maybe, you know, every family leader comes forward from the assembly one at a time and just lays their offering down. And then the next leader comes and does likewise. And this amount, just to picture it growing and growing and growing before them. And this assembly, they all see this as they give. They all see this amount just growing and growing and they start rejoicing. And then it says that David starts rejoicing too in verse nine. Why are they all rejoicing? Well, why partly maybe it's a phew, we've got enough to do this thing, partly. But surely, moreover, it was a moment of we are in this together. We share the same vision. The Lord will be exalted. He is with us. This is a community moment. A community united with a vision, with the resources, recognising that the Lord was with them. And here they are worshipping him together. So what we have here in 1 Chronicles 29 is a story of a community that gives. A story who in that moment could be defined by outrageous generosity. Then let's pick up the story. I'm going to jump forward down to verse 14. David, he's still full of joy and he's praying out to God now. And this is what he says as he prays. But who am I? 
And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willing your people who are here have given you, given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes and decrees and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. Then David said to the whole assembly, praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and the king. So here, David, he's still overwhelmed by the people's generosity, deeply moved that they are, in fact, united behind this vision that he has put before them. And he carries on crying out to God in prayer. And as he does so, he touches on some truths that every community who wants to be outrageously generous must understand. The first of these is this, that all things come from God. David acknowledges this in verse 14 when he cries out, everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. And then verse 16, he says, Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand and all of it belongs to you. All that we have comes from the Lord. And when we give to seeing his purposes prevail, we're just giving back to him what he has already given us. You know, think of a child, if you've bought a packet of chocolate buttons for a child and then they offer you one back. <laughs> Not that mine always do that, but you get the picture. That's a picture. We're just giving back to him what he has already given to us. That is what stewardship is. Acknowledging that this is all the Lord's anyway. We are to be stewards, not owners. Is that how you see your finances, all, all the material things that the Lord has blessed you with? Are they yours or are they his? I think if we're honest, we often live with an ownership mentality. You know, what is mine and what I have is mine and I will do what I want with it. You know, a good few years ago, uh, Matt and I, my husband and I, we were at the point where we no longer needed our double buggy that we'd had when the boys were younger. So we were going to sell it on Gumtree because I wanted the money for selling it to buy a new bike. So I advertised it on Gumtree and this lady got in touch to say that she did, in fact, want to buy it. So she came over and she had a good look at it. And as we were chatting, it turned out that she um, was a foster carer and she needed this pram for a particular child in her care, an older toddler, but who needed a kind of big enough pram to be able to get in and out of. Um, this, uh, this older toddler had a learning disability and she fostered lots of children, all with varying de uh, degrees of disability. And she said that money was tight and she thought that the pram would do and then she handed over the money that she'd allocated for it to me. And so in that moment, I felt like, I should just give her this for free and tell her to spend the money on a treat for her kids. But at the same time, I wanted the money to buy a bike. So in that moment, I didn't do anything. I just took the money from her and she left. And afterwards, I felt the Lord prompt me, you know, kindly and gently, but prompt me nonetheless, and say, that was a moment to be generous, to bless someone with what I had already given you, or what I had already blessed you with. And you didn't take that moment. Do you know what, in that moment, I was looking at the pram as an owner, not as a steward. I was concerned with the next thing that I wanted to buy. Me, me, me. And as such, I wasn't generous. 
I know that this story does not put me in a good light, <laughs> but I'm sharing it because I think if we're honest, many of us operate with a similar mindset, an ownership mindset. This is my stuff and I choose what I do with it. An ownership mindset. And the truth is, is that those of us that often have the most are the most likely to operate out of that mindset. That is the complete opposite of the picture, of the, the mindset of the people in our story today, the picture that we are given here in 1 Chronicles. Instead of a tight-fistedness, there is an open-handedness. An open-handedness that comes from recognising that this is all the Lord's anyway, that we are just stewards. And there's, there's something deeply freeing with living with a stewardship mindset. Freedom from that mentality of this is all mine and I have to guard it with my life. A stewardship mindset instead of an ownership mindset breaks the consumerist spirit of more, more, more. It breaks the self-focused spirit of me, me, me. It frees us from the chains of consumerism and greed. And that clearly is freedom indeed. Do you have an ownership mindset or a stewardship mindset? An outrageously generous community understands that all we have is the Lord's. Secondly, an outrageously generous community is one where our hearts are postured towards the Lord. I mean, notice how this community's outrageous generosity leads them to worship. You know, verse 20. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and the King. I mean, worship in its truest form comes from an understanding, a recognition of who God is, and then a giving of our hearts to him. That's what worship is, essentially. And there's something about us giving our money of acknowledging that this is all the Lord's anyway, allow recognizing who God is, that he is above all, that all this belongs to him, that he is Jehovah Jireh. As we recognize who God is, this frees us to give our hearts again, to give our lives. David recognizes this in verse 18 when he says, Lord, when he prays, Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. Generosity postures our hearts towards the things of the Lord. And we, you know, we talk a lot about discipleship in this church. We have a whole discipleship framework called Live Like Jesus. And, and, in, in, and in time, I think we'll do a whole series just on this idea alone. But for now, I just want to say that learning to live in an, in an increasingly generous way is part of our discipleship to Jesus. It's what it means to have our heart postured towards the things of the Lord. Which is why even though talking about giving can be awkward, you know, there's always the worry when you do this that someone joins the church or they start listening for the first time over these, these three weeks and think, gosh, all this church talks about is money. But it would be remiss for us not to talk about it from time to time, not every week, but from time to time. We need to talk about it because learning to live with a generous mindset is part of what it means to live like Jesus. Generosity unlocks our hearts to live open-handed, expansive lives. There is something about giving freely of what we have that enables us to give freely of who we are. This is a discipleship thing. I and mean, this is more about, this is more than just giving to the church, although that's what we're obviously focusing on at this current moment. But what I'm talking about here is living in a, a deeper, spirit-filled, spirit-empowered way, living open-handed, generous lives that are deeply transformation, transformational both to ourselves and to the world around us. Which leads me to my last point. So firstly, an outrageously generous community understands that all we have is the Lord's. And secondly, an outrageously generous community is one where our hearts are postured towards our Lord. And then lastly, thirdly, an outrageously generous community is one that gets to partner with God in seeing his kingdom prevail. You know, we have a part to play in this when we give financially. The Lord always provides for his purposes, but he does use us. And this is something that we get to do, not that we have to do. 
It's a very different mindset. David says this in verse 14, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? He's like, how is it that we're able to do this? It's amazing that we get to do this, David's saying. Outrageous, outrageous generosity is something that we get to do. It ultimately brings us joy, not simply because it frees us on a personal level, as I spoke to, freedom from consumerism and greed. I mean, that is amazing in itself. But moreover, even more than this, it's because we then get to see it used for his kingdom. And there is such joy in that. Joy abounds in this story, doesn't it? Everyone is rejoicing. You know, joy and outrageous generosity go together. You know, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 tells us that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. There is such joy at giving to God's kingdom purposes to know that you are a part of making that happen. And for the people of God here in this story, it was building this temple. You know, it would take Solomon and the people seven years to build the temple. But in years to come, when, they, um, when they'd finished it, when they entered it, when they worshipped there, they would know that they were part of making that happen. I mean, can you just imagine what that would have been like? You know, for the people that gave in this moment to be able to then, in seven years later and later years in their life, to be able to go there with their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren. They'll be able to go to the temple, this place filled with the presence of God, this center point for the people of Israel, this place of, un, of like spectacular beauty. Can you imagine being able to go there as one of those people that gave and be able to say to your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, do you know what? Me and your granddad, me and your grandma, we were part of making this happen. And what I love about this idea is that how much you are able to give isn't really the point. It's about playing your part. You know, Matt will tell you, my husband will tell you of uh, the first time that he was at Trent Vineyard Church in Nottingham. He was a student and uh, when the church first set out their plans to build a warehouse, it's an amazing warehouse now, years later, that is like blesses the whole city. But at that time they didn't have a building and they were just meeting in what was a rather kind of dingy room in Nottingham um, football ground, city ground. And I said, you know, Matt was a student at the time and um, was able to give very little when asked to give to it. But he did give something. You know, maybe this kind of equated to a square foot of carpet in the new warehouse when it was built. But he played his part. And then years later, when they needed to then extend the warehouse to the size it is now, by that time, I was also at the church. We were married and we were able to give a little bit more this time round. And even now, you know, when we go back to the warehouse, to Trent Vineyard, we feel so privileged and joyful looking around and thinking, we helped make this happen. It is such a joy to be able to do that. And, wait, you know, it can be awkward talking about money when you know that there are people in this church, people among us who have very little, maybe who are struggling financially. And we would not want to put anything heavy on you, nor do I believe that the Lord wants you to give in a way that would put you further into debt or into difficulty. And if that's you, can I just suggest that you come before the Lord in this season and ask what outrageous generosity looks like for you in this moment. Maybe you pray that the Lord would provide for you in the next few weeks to enable you to be able to give even a small amount. An outrageously generous community isn't one where everyone gives the same amount, but one where everyone plays their part. This week, I had an amazing story from our kids team. A family in our church, they'd been talking to their kids um, about this series and about our vision as a church. And they showed um, their children the booklet that we'd made. And these children, they were so excited when they heard this, when they saw the booklet. And they said, you know, mummy, can we give? Can we give? And one of them went off and she found her piggy bank and she emptied it out. And then she came to church this Sunday, a handful of coins to give to Gemma, one of our kids' pastors, to go towards our giving campaign. Isn't that amazing? You know, an outrageously generous community isn't one where everyone gives the same amount, but one where everyone plays their part. What part is the Lord asking you to play? 
Now, years ago, when I was 18, I did a year out in a church in Warsaw in Birmingham as a youth worker, and I was based in a local Methodist church. This church had been built 60, 70 years before. And uh, I mean, that, that church that I worked in was very, very different to this church, to Vineyard. But it was one marked by outrageous generosity. They offered radical hospitality to people, my, myself included. They opened up the doors of the building to serve the poor, the lonely. I used to, every week, I, I used to, the, the building used to, use, used to be used. I used to help run a Friday night youth club there every week. And the, this, um, this youth club would be for all the kids off the local estate, kids as young as 10, whose parents are in the pub and had no idea where they were. The church used to open themselves up and provide a safe space for these kids to come and have fun. The church was outrageously generous to these children. And this church was literally built on the outrageous generosity um, of the people that founded it. On the bricks of the building itself were the names of each person who had helped to build the church. Their names still there, even after they themselves had long gone. And as I thought about this over the years, there is something deeply powerful about the legacy of this, isn't there? As I said, many of the people whose names were on those bricks had passed away, and certainly by now they will have passed away. But the memory of all that they had given some 60 years before remained. In the middle of his prayer, verse 15, David prays this, We are here only for a moment, visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow gone so soon without a trace. I mean, it sounds a bit bleak, doesn't it, in the middle of this kind of amazing prayer and this time of worship to suddenly pray in that way. But what David's doing here is he's acknowledging that our lives are fleeting. Life on earth is short, he says. We are basically like visitors and strangers here. We're only here for a moment, just like a passing shadow. We don't stay here forever. And so we can choose to either invest our money and all that the Lord has given us into temporary material things of this earth, of this life, or we can invest them in what is eternal and of infinite value. Or as the Apostle Paul would put it many hundreds of years later in, his church, in a letter he writes to a church in Corinth, he says this, that we can choose to build with either gold or silver or with hay and straw. You know, some things, gold and silver, have infinite value and will never be destroyed. And that's the choice before us as we look at how we invest our money, how we spend all that the Lord has given to us. We get to partner with the Lord in building for his kingdom purposes of building something of eternal value. We get to put our name on a brick, as it were, to know that we played our part in seeing the vision that God has given us realised in this time, in this city and in this nation. To see this city restored and this beautiful nation, Wales, renewed. We want to see bonfires of his presence across this city and across our nation as we plant churches and launch sites where people would encounter the love of God and come to know Jesus, where we would serve the needs of those that have less, where we would see young people growing up knowing who they are in Jesus, where we would see the gate, the building the Lord has given us, restored to, all, to what it was always intended to be, a place of prayer and worship. Will you give to this vision, to the eternal kingdom purposes of the Lord? that people would look back in years to come and give thanks for the outrageous generosity of this community. That is the invitation to put your name on a brick, as it were, metaphorically speaking, to play your part, however big or small. He will be exalted. Thank you.